Welcome to the 3v3 Podcast, your socially distanced hockey chat show. Here are your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. So nothing happened to the hockey world yesterday, so I'm happy we can kick off with a time-sensitive question. Um, Has COVID-19 provided the perfect opportunity for the CHL to blow up the billet family system in that players who move to market live with families who are compensated for providing essentially room and board for uh, athletes. Do you want to go first, Patrick? No, go ahead. All right. Ladies first. All right. Um, I think it provides an opportunity for them to restructure it. I don't think that they should get rid of it simply because you have minors um, who need that kind of family structure socialization still. Um, And then on top of that, you know, I shudder at the thought of teenage boys, even like later teens, teenage boys being overseen by hockey coaches, also men who really couldn't care less what they do off the ice. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of NHLers, minor leaguers, people who didn't go beyond junior hockey who have mental health issues because of junior hockey. And so I think that would be exacerbated um, hugely if, if that were the case that you just had coaches and GMs and teams overseeing directly teenage boys as they're playing in another town away from family and not having the opportunity to socialize uh, with women, with girls, um, in a respectful manner. So they need a quote-unquote Michelle McKay, uh, Catherine Herb's character from Mighty Ducks 2 to be a part of this for it to ever work, and we know hockey teams won't hire that position or, or, or bring on enough full-time staff to kind of balance out some of those concerns. They, they won't hire women in hockey operations, and um, that's pretty much all I have to say. <laughs> I'm I'm just going to sit here and nod my head silently, even though we're not a video podcast. I am nodding my head in agreement. I don't... I think asking 16-year-old kids to go live in a dorm when... And this is is such that high-wire act of... They live something... They have been living something of a sheltered and titled life for a while something not all of them you know not all of them are no. subject to you know but they also come from you know Flin Flon Manitoba or you know small little towns and in some cases end up going to not so small little towns and they don't know anyone other than their teammates and sure there's still the hockey bro stuff but there are also still 16, 17-year-old kids who have school to finish in a lot of cases. So uh, I don't think getting rid of the billet system benefits them in any way, and especially given the lawsuit about the employment status of the players that has come out recently and the ones that have come out in the past where they ended up setting up the college funds because as we all know you know maybe one player on every junior team gets drafted and makes it to the NHL for any period of time and of those maybe one becomes a topish tier player you know if they don't have something to fall back on family life, structurally at least some normalcy 
And I think we're just going to create even bigger monsters down the road. Because if they're all slapped in a dorm together, that that dude bro stuff is going to get way out of whack. Whereas a lot of these billet families, you at least have a mother. And in some cases, they'll have, you know, sisters, you know, or they'll have daughters of their own, that kind of stuff. I well, think then, depri- I think depriving them of that sort of experience in this situation is probably more detrimental in the end. And then there's also the abuse allegations that are going around. And if you have a bunch of teenage boys stuck in a dorm being overseen by hockey men, that there's a greater potential for that to happen. Because, you know, who's who's going to police any of that? Who's who's going to hear anything about that? You know, it's like, is are these, you know, teenage boys going to call home and tell their their parents? Well, their parents just let their 16 year old kid go off and like do this. Like, oh, it's OK, honey, just, you know, suck it up and, and deal with it because that's just how it is, you know, kind of thing. At least with like a billet family, the billet family may, you know, mitigate some of that or they're they're even the um, sort of a watchdog type thing because, you know, it's an extra set of eyes on a situation that maybe others don't want people to see. Well, I, I'm spe- yeah, to that point, I'm also kind of, you, know, you start wondering about the hazing stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And who's going to police that, right? Not every team has a Zidane Chara on it who says basically, nope, you know, we're, we're done with this rookie hazing, we're done with this kind of crap, and that kind of crap, we're building the team, and you don't do it by, you know, doing this. Whereas other guys still ascribe to that, you know, shave them naked and shove a light bulb up the rear end. Right. It's like, well, we had to go through it, so so do you. Lack of empathy type thing going on. So in in the past week, I've thought about the question a lot. News that the QMJHL will attempt to start their season in September, October. um, Really had me thinking about this further, but at least locally here in North Carolina, it's got me thinking about the whole hockey development ladder. And just how messed up it is. For example, we have a brand new, the Hurricanes brand new practice facility is now open. Youth teams for the the local travel program are practicing out of it way too much. I drove by it uh, one night earlier this week and saw way too many cars in a parking lot for a, for basically an enclosed ice rink, um, which shows you just the priorities of everyone in this country, this being the U.S. Um, and that in this facility, they are starting up what's basically a partnership from this VC-backed venture called the Accelerator School. It's one of these sports-first schooling programs that costs upwards of Seventeen to twenty thousand dollars a year that you can put your kid in, so that your U twelve, so your kid just starting middle school, can get one hundred twenty hours of ice time per whatever, whatever their academic season is, and just how much, just how messed up the uh, priorities or, or, or developmental philosophies for all of this stuff is, and it's just. I was before I really dug into this question because half the time we just think up these things kind of on the fly during the episodes, just based on what we're talking about. And I thought I was very much in favor of let's create a dormitory system. But the more I thought about it, and the more that you know, I saw oh, this program is really getting kicked off, and all these eleven-year-olds who are going to play for travel teams, whose parents are paying twenty thousand dollars for them to enter this program, or or signing commitments for the Junior Hurricanes single A teams. And I'm just, we just got to burn the whole hockey 
hockey ladder down and start over. I um, I always go back to the notion that people are going to throw money at whatever they think is going to make them more money. And in a lot of cases, the parents never had these things when they were a kid. And dad probably could have been an NHLer if he had something like this. Well, these programs are going to turn out maybe conservatively six NHLers, mm-hmm. you know, in, in 10 or 15 years, maybe. And are any of them going to be Connor McDavid? No. Are any of them going to be Sidney Crosby? Because they're all focused on one thing, right? There's only so, so oh, much- oh, I'm sorry. So they might be Sidney Crosby in some respect. But please continue. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll continue, but Tobias Reader just scored a shorthanded goal. So it's now 4-3 Calgary with 15-18 left in the third. And uh, Calgary's got... Yeah. And poor Dobby. He may be a free elf, but he is uh, struggling in this series. Yeah, I think this uh, game's going to be first to 10. Yeah. Um, but back on the subject is, you know, uh, these, granted, Shattuck St. Mary isn't, all the word I want to say, it's not too far off from that notion of a sports first program, but they also have a significant academic standing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not your typical high school where you have to maintain, you know, like a, a C minus average to be on the varsity team. And then these guys skate by on C minus averages by taking, you know, home ec and phys ed for four of their five classes. Um, I, they're, these venture capitalists and these people that think that all hockey all the time is the way to produce the next greatest player in the world. Obviously, I've not been studying the greatest players in the world in any of their sports. Right? Nope. Mm-mm. You're going you're gonna to produce well-trained hockey players that are just average. Mm-hmm. And then even then, you can say on the extreme rare cases of your McDavid's. How is his career going to evolve? Should he suffer enough injuries? Let's just say like if he loses his speed, how is he going to evolve and stay in the league? We don't know that yet, but he is a smart enough player where I believe, you know, he will develop and evolve his game and, Maybe he'll be like Steve Eiserman and get, you know, a bunch of other Hall of Famers around him so he can win his cup, but he has to learn how to play a different way. But what all these programs are designing kids to do are just you're turning into this product. Like Yeah. We're uh, You're 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 <laughs> churning you're churning a factory of Ford uh, Model T's. Of MVPs, uh, of minimal no, viable players. They're they're just they're they're forward model T's. They're all going to drive the same. Mm-hmm. They're all going to look the same. They're all going to stop and sound the same. They're not going to think the same, right? <clears throat> because okay. they're not going to have that variety of influence. And I'm not going to make this political, but this is a political statement. If you look at the state of things in the U.S. and why. The average politician keeps getting older and older and older and look at even hockey departments where the hockey men are still these people that are older and older and older and aren't retiring and aren't being forced out. Maybe it's because of systems like this where we're not churning out anyone with just a hint of creativity or different avenues in which to open doors enter organizations post playing career but i digress i always i always made a joke um when apple had the whole think different campaign going 
They had the right sentiment, but it was the wrong company pushing it. Mm-hmm. Right? Think different by using the exact same hardware and exact same form factor that everyone else is using. Right? Because that's whereas PC it was an open ecosystem. So there, you know, the likelihood of two machines identical were was near zero and everyone explored their creativity and that's why PC started dominating because they had a lot more open frameworks and open architectures that could be you know people started modding and hot rodding and doing all of these wonderful things and that kept pushing the game developers and things kept getting better until they peaked and then everyone just kept churning out the same thing because it made money but you're not going to get, we're not going to get another McDavid or even Dreisaitl or um, a Matt Barzal. Oh, what a beautiful overtime goal today. Um, Or any of those types of guys, Nathan McKinnon, because they think different. You know, they, they try, they try different things when they're on the ice. They played a different way. And, and it sort of goes back to that old adage, which everyone fights over, is you can't teach offense. You can teach defense, but you can't teach offense. Well, it's not offense you're teaching, it's creativity. And if you've got a bunch of these, you know, Plato brains that have just been molded and hardened and left in the sun to dry, and they're formed into one, everything looks exactly alike, well, that's what you're going to end up with. Well, and that's that's like... Part of the equation, too, is just the coaches, the, in, the, the infrastructure, the people behind all of that, not just the parents. Because, you know, the coaches that are getting hired for these sorts, sorts of things, even for like, or shouldn't even say hired because some of it's volunteer, but um, are the same types of coaches that are doing NHL stuff, right? They're, they're trying to get people who think like NHL coaches to coach kids so that kids will be ready to, like, get into the NHL, supposedly. And, you know, what, what have we been complaining about with the NHL coaches? They want to kill creativity. And so you, you, there's, you have the one piece of the parents who are, who are, trying to live out their fantasy of being a professional athlete with your child. And then the other piece of it is, well, we need to, if we're going to do this, then we need to do it quote unquote, right. Which is we need to do it like the NHL. Well, there's that whole like philosophy right there. That's just screwing everybody over on top of, you know, parents pushing their kids. Yeah, I don't, so, this is where I always kind of struggle with this, because guys like Anthony Stewart, right, run hockey schools. Mm-hmm. And they don't discourage the creativity, but they also say, hey, if you want to further your career, you need to learn these fundamentals. You need to learn to play a certain way. And that's where I sort of have this, you want to teach, it's sort of like baseball, right? They always say the five-tool player, right? Mm-hmm. You want to teach them to be sound, somewhat sound defensively, know their position and, you know, know the fundamentals like, you know, passing lanes and that kind of stuff. But you also don't want to stifle them doing a lacrosse goal or the Merrick Malik, right? Or any of these other great little trick shots or trying those passes that, you know, Matt Barzell and, and, um, and Dreisaitl try, right? Just stuff you see and you're like, how the hell did he find that lane? Joe Thornton, right? Standing on the half board on one side of the ice, finds the eye of the needle and just lays a perfect pizza. You know, smack on to Pavelski's tape. That kind of stuff that nobody else thinks about. Right, and those are the players that, that break out of that conditioning just enough that they're thinking that they can get away with it. They're not thinking they're going to do it because that's what they always do. And they're not thinking that it's going to necessarily work. They're thinking, well, maybe I can get away with doing this. 
because they've been taught not to do that. They've been taught to do the high percentage play, whatever that may be in whatever situation, because a high percentage play is going to give you the goal at the end of the day, or it's going to stop a goal at the end of the day, although most coaches don't think that way. But that's why creativity is being stifled is because coaches want players to do the high percentage play in any given situation in order to maximize their chance of winning. And so players who take those sneaky passes, players who make those, those like sneaky plays, they're doing it because they think they can get away with it, not because they think their coach wants them to do that. Except for Joe Thornton. Well, Joe Thornton, Joe Thornton doesn't care. <laughs> right. He's at, the, think... he, he's at that stage in, the, in, in his life where he's like, I'm just going to do whatever the heck I want, and people don't like it too bad. <laughs> well, I think he's been that way for so long. You know, I, I think Todd McClellan got there and went, oh, oh, no, no. Okay, Joe, just promise me you'll be within three feet of this area <laughs> and then do whatever you want to do. Right. But then he had a coach who let him do that. Yeah. You know, most coaches are not. But that's why that's why creativity is being killed in hockey at all levels is because coaches want to maximize the chance of getting a goal and winning the game. And in order to do that, players have to do do certain things at certain times. And so that's why you don't get guys who are who are like breaking out of that mold, breaking out of that box because they're taught not to. And that's why the, the best players do it because they know they can get away with it. There's a podcast I was listening to and I don't remember which one it was that said, you know, basically within the remainder of this playoff season and next year, you're going to see the Islanders become a lot more of a dynamic offensive team because Trotz has now got them playing smart defense systematically. And then when he does that, when he gets the team to buy in, then he starts loosening the reins on them offensively. And I kind of go back to some of that time he had with Washington. And I thought, yeah, you know what? That was kind of a little bit of a pattern he had. He got which them. Which is great. Which That's is, what yeah. they should do. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and it's come in and it's sort of break the break the the Bronco, you know, get him to play a certain way, and then you let him loose. And I mean, that's what that's what Cooper does in Tampa, but he has a hard time with he's he's kind of controlling, I think, as a coach. So he has a hard time with letting people loose if they do what he wants them to do. Because he expects them to keep doing what he wants them to do, and that isn't always the case. So he tries to punish them by saying, okay, you're not doing what I want you to do, so I don't want you to be doing this fancy thing uh, and, you know, to try to score. And this is why all players end up hating coaches. Mm-hmm. Which, on a completely different end of the spectrum, one of my favorite Twitter followers, and I've mentioned him on here before, is a, is a guy in New England named Pete Russo, or Peter Russo. He runs a he's, a... he's a skills coach that does things with players of all different levels, from prep school to, like, you know, junior hopefuls to NHL guys. But he also writes a bunch of poetry he quotes Nishi and Mr. Rogers, and he comes up with all these crazy things. And he's the type of skills coach who he doesn't have all these fancy gadgets and like sliding boards. And like he finds what he has around his house or what he can do outside at a tennis court or against a big, you know, cement wall. And just how can he come up with a fun balance drill? And how can you do this? How can you do that? He's he's very deep thinker. And he very much pushes creativity in learning things within certain contexts, as opposed to being a robot. And it's it's very uh some of the stuff he comes up with, it it 
kind of challenges my way of thinking. I don't buy into everything he's selling, but it gets me thinking. And that's just something, no matter how many coaching symposiums or clinics or team snap conference videos you watch, all the messages get real repetitive, real quick. And it's just the best coaches have to build a level of trust and just have certain players prepared for certain situations. Be be on the lookout for these three things and then let your natural skill take over. And And don't punish people for actually like taking creative risks. And, you know, given how it's everything is event based or event driven, it's just a bunch of, you know, 10,000 micro events that fill 60 minutes of, of hockey. Just like, there are only so many choices a player can make in every scenario, every situation. And there's so much out of their control. So what are you punishing the random event or, or the player for just having to make a split second decision? So, you know, it's why injuries are, are completely random half the time in hockey. And it's just, Oh, we can, we can change the rules all we want to prevent certain plays, but stuff's just going to happen. It's out of your control. You just have to live with that fact. But most modern-day coaching and all sports is about control. Mm -hmm. But enough about John Tortorella. I kid. I kid. I kid. Kind of. (laughs) Well, there's, there's, there's two coaches I absolutely adore. And it's simply because they they are not the mold. They looked at the mold and flipped it off. And I think in, in Rod Brindamore's case, they tried to put a mold around him and he just broke through like some sort of hulking. That's why his nose is broken, right? <laughs> That's well, why all, all the other players are afraid to take their shirts off around them because he's just going to show them up. Right. <clears throat> And the, you know it's 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 Brenda Moore and Torts. Brenda Moore because he's, I, I think he's probably, and I'm trying to figure out how to say. I think he's probably the best example of a new age, modern coach that we've seen. He's a player's coach. Well, I I I hate that. I'm not I mean, not against it, you, but you know I hate that term because nobody knows what it means. No, there is no, like, real definition for it. It's basically a coach that can relate to the players better than, like, other coaches. That's ultimately what it means. It's just somebody who's, you know, friendly. Used to be a player. (laughs) Well, they say Bruce Boudreaux is a player's coach, right? But But it's not just that. It's the way he handles himself in the media. It's the way he... You know, and it's 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 all of the and they've done such a good job of marketing Brindamore in Carolina, you know, by by releasing the um, locker room speeches. Oh, and he hates that, but he accepts it. That that's the difference between him and most. He hates it, but he knows why he needs to do it. And I mean, it's one of those. I'm going to go in here and talk to these boys, but God, they're going to broadcast it, you know. Yeah. And it's going to bring the light on me because people are going to be like, you know, every time you see one of those, you just see, you know, I'd run through a wall for this man type yeah. type posts. And phrases used over and over again. The more the canes are in the spotlight, right? It's not. It. <laughs> As someone, I, I've had several conversations, like one-on-ones with Brenda Moore, more so with his dad, who is one of the nicest human beings I've ever spoken with. But uh, he's just, he, he has perspective. He has life perspective. He has playing perspective. And it's just, he's not doing this, and these are his words, he's not doing this as a career. It's just something that he believed in. So he's... He has a mentality. He has something that he he loves, that being the organization, or really the team and, and what the team means to a community. And he's just doing what he can to make it better. 
And so when he says, okay, I hate these stupid videos, but I understand why you do them because it's all about, you know, connecting with that community that we are trying to improve. He embraces that. He's not a career coach worried about wins, losses, and how to get that next one of those other 30 jobs that I can't have right now. Right. He's not, he's not a coach who's sitting there going, fine, I'll take this job in, in Nashville, but, you know, I really want to head coach the Habs or the Leafs one day. Yeah. He is, he's that opposite of Bruce Boudreau, who's at the crossroads of his career for the, what, 20th time, can we say? Um, where he is now going to have to decide, does he want to be a head coach or is he willing to be the assistant coach? Because everyone wants him to go to Toronto for some unknown reason. Because they want him to coach their offense in Toronto. And I just sit there and laugh. Yeah, that's been the problem. <laughs> that's, man, you are just mm-hmm. one offensive coach away from Stanley, Clu- Stanley Cup glory in Toronto. Well, that's that's because people don't know what defenders do or what their role is or how that all works. <laughs> they, they do because they decry them all the time in the media. This team doesn't play any defense. This team has no defense. <gasps> oh, Bruce Boudreaux is available to coach our offense. Go get him. What did you guys just write four columns on last week? <laughs> well, it, and it goes back to why did, there's no one pushing new ideas. We're churning out the same thing over and over again. So why why do beat writers and columnists want to write anything new when they've got this thing in their back pocket and they can spice it up from time to time? Change the names, change the years. Change a couple adjectives and adverbs here and there. You're trying to you're trying to goad me, Pat, and I'm not going to bite for it. All right, no wait, wait, wait. Patrick didn't finish his thought though. He had gone off on Brindamore. Now, what about Torts? Please. No, Torts is the same way. I mean, Torts is a bit problematic, but I like Torts as a coach. he's, He's problematic because the media makes him problematic. Yeah, he's not problematic with any of his players. No, outside of Vancouver, any of his employers. Yeah, well, that was such a god awful fit. Yeah, and I don't, you know, I don't begrudge either side for having their their feathers in a ruffle after that. I was just never going to be a good fit. No, he's only problematic with the media. I mean, I heard the I heard the term bully. He's a bully. Because he doesn't want to answer your stupid question? Right. Give me a break. Stupid question that he's been asked at nauseam. I mean... you Were you watching the game? Then you know the answer. Yeah. You know? No, I like that he doesn't take any BS from the press. He, he's already in that one-year probation period where he's got to pay a big fine if he says something stupid, too. So... And it's... It, uh, I had an AP calculus teacher who said, when in the presence of someone who doesn't suffer fools, don't present yourself as a fool. And that's Tortorella. He doesn't suffer fools. If you ask him, and I have heard this from multiple different sources, if you ask him an intelligent hockey question, and, and one that doesn't regard or require specifics about his team, right? like what are you going to change next game, he's never going to answer that. If you ask him a question of, are there things you want to change next game? You know, something along the lines where he has an out to say, I'm not going to tell you what I say in the locker room. Because that's what they expect, right? They expect you to tell me, you know, somebody's going to sit up there and say, here, let me lay out my game plan for you. Because that's really smart. And I'm just like, God. (laughs) He doesn't suffer fools. Don't ask him. The, the cookie-cutter question. That's it. You already know the answer. What do you think of Seth Jones having played 65 minutes? I mean, Jesus, Mother Mary. <laughs> I thought he sucked. I thought his game could have improved. We would have had him out there 70 You know, come on. Right. If he did X, Y, and Z, I would have had him out there for 80 minutes. But You know, the smarter question in there is, did you have any concerns about Seth's ice time tonight? Did you see any fall-off? In, you know... Yeah, something that doesn't just fit your narrative of wanting a blurb from the coach saying he was great. Oh, and, and I mean, 
just like it, it's it's just like the hockey men, right? Don't think out of the box because thinking out of the box is extra work. So just don't bother. At least for the media, that is. I mean, they they go off and ask the same questions repeatedly because they can get away with it and it's easy and they don't have to actually think outside the box. Which is why Sarah Sivian kicks so much rear end. Well, and a lot of women are like tired of it. They're looking at this going, I mean, because, you know, I used to blog and and we've all bonded at one point in time or another, women who write about hockey who are just like, why are these guys still asking the same exact question? That doesn't make any sense. I, I retweeted this yesterday from an account, support W sports on Twitter. And it was like, you think you can hurt my feelings? I'm a woman. I'm a woman who works in sports. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be just the thickest of skin and deal with so much shit, but they also provide some of the most interesting think pieces just thought-provoking ideas, the best interviews. It's because at least part of the reason, in my experience, talking to other people in my own experience, is that part of the reason is that what we were talking about earlier, we're not indoctrinated into thinking about the sport in a certain way. Yeah. You know, like players are, like coaches are like the media tends to fall into as well and and so we look at things in an entirely different way than the media the men who are long established media people and so that's why you get a refreshing angle refreshing questions refreshing like stories is because we all came to the sport and figured it out ourselves and came to our own conclusions that are very different in a lot of cases than what everybody's been told to think all their lives. Cassie, do you think that there's also a side of that that is, excuse me, um, to stand out, you, I mean, I, I know there is, you have to work twice as hard, right? Right. You have, you have to be, you have to be twice yeah, you have to have a much higher quality standard and everything else. But do you think that there's also an aspect of it of the how you're going to make yourself stand out or how you're going to stand out is by asking those non-formulaic, easy softball questions? Because the I don't want to say fear, but no, no, the, see, it's not fear, but it's it's just you know to the risk. You're, you're more willing to take that risk? The thing is, is that, is that no one's trying to stand out. That's, that's, as a woman writing about sports, you're not trying to stand out deliberately to get attention because as a woman in, who writes about sports, you know that getting attention also gives you the bad kind of attention. Sorry, I, I kind of mm-hmm. framed it the wrong way. It wasn't about attention so much as it was about the elevation of quality. No, again, it, it's just when you go into something like this, first of all, you know, you don't last unless you have thick skin. But second of all, you're not trying to set yourself apart from the crowd deliberately. Most women aren't. It's you're just there to try to do your job in the best way that you can. And so it's less about looking at the men and seeing what they're saying and thinking I'm going to be different and I'm going to ask something else. And it's more about being exasperated by the same questions being asked repeatedly and getting the same stories repeatedly and just wanting to like write something that you would find interesting instead well, of the same old stuff over and over again. That's what I, that's kind of what I mean. That's kind of what I was trying to get around to was as a way to provide a, a better quality article or piece, a different angle or interview. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's partly, it's a different angle, but mostly it, I mean, I know what you're saying is that, is this a, a premeditated sort of like thing you see what they're doing and you think i don't want to do that so i'm going to do this because um, because it's it's a dime a dozen right and i'm not going to get 
you know, that's, I want to be better than that. Right. But it's, it's really mostly a matter of just being frustrated and exasperated by the same stuff over and over. And that's, that's really the motivation to do something different. It's not, I'm going to take a different angle from them because this is old. It's, I'm going to take a different angle from them because, God damn it, I don't want to have to read that kind of crap over again. And I'm sure other people don't, so I'm just going to do something else. So it's the definition of think different. It's a definition of what? <laughs> think different. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not... Um, I mean, for some women, it might be, I can't, I can't say that that's everybody, but everyone I've talked to and myself, it's really just been a, a, just because you've always done it that way doesn't mean that it's good. <laughs> you know, yeah, just, I wasn't just because out. something works well doesn't mean there's room. For, there isn't room for improvement, or that if something works well, that there isn't a better way to do it. You know, I mean, yeah. it's again. I mean, it. A lot of women go into sports writing because they love the sport, obviously, or sports in general, or they used to play, and they feel that this is the best way that they can still be in a sport because for a lot of women, you know, there wasn't, especially my generation, you didn't have professional sports, you know, no professional women's lacrosse or field hockey. Right. And so it just ends at college. And if you're lucky, you went to a college that had that, but not all colleges have, you know, all women's sports either. So, so it just ends. And so a lot of times women go into sports writing because they love the sport they used to play, maybe, and, or they wish they could have played. And there's just no other avenue to continue with that sport but writing. And meanwhile, the men will continue to say William Nylander needs to be traded for the upteenth offseason. And they might actually get it right this time if there's a GM that can make that work or you know someone like and this really pisses me off but like Justin Bourne used to be one of the best analysts as far as writers go and he's slowly morphing into a Don Cherry clone the longer he stays in Toronto and it's just like this person is getting rewarded for giving me garbage meanwhile you know Writers Alice, with some nuance and Buchan, I, they, getting let go from the athletic in the middle of playoffs. Yeah. Um, like speaking of like top three people, I just want to sit and watch a game with before I leave this earth. She's number one on my list. Like I would love to just sit and watch a game and just. Wherever the direction takes us in the conversation, we can get analytical, we can get philosophical, whatever. I just think it would be fantastic. Um, uh, So, you know how we were talking about that hat trick earlier? The one he didn't score? Yeah, well, he just... Hang on, hang on. Yeah! Live in-game update. (laughs) Joe Pavelski ties the game at three. Can't be a can't be a playoff day game or playoff game day without at least one game going to overtime. Even though we've already had one game go to overtime. Yeah, but they're getting too efficient in their overtime. Yeah. Not going long enough. And I'm sorry, Joe Pavowski. Um, you just ruined us of another reminder of uh Corey Perry's walk of shame. Because he uh, interfered with the goaltender on an earlier <laughs> game tying goal, just like five minutes ago. Eleven point nine left in the third. Little Jumbo Joe. <laughs> or or is he Jumbo Joe now? These in you know Dallas because everything's bigger in Dallas or in Texas, and you know Thornton's technically not in the league right now. Dallas Joe, Dallas Jumbo Joe. Are they gonna? Are they reviewing it? They're reviewing it. Of course they are. 
Well, they're reviewing. Oh. Offside. Well, hopefully this review goes as fast as it did on the uh, Barzell oh, goal. Early. No, they're good. They're good. I think it's Tyler Sagan is completely like doing his Pilates stretches. <laughs> I think it's is, Sagan. is he pretending the boards are Zidane Chara? The way his legs are twisted right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, it is it is an epic stretch too. <laughs> oh. Oh, for those of you, okay, you'll you'll see the gif probably in a while, but that was just the that was the definition of the cartoon screeching, you know, and just grabbing onto something before falling off the cliff. Gif. He grabbed the, he grabbed his side, he grabbed the 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 top of the boards and just hung his heel on the blue line as his, as the rest of his body was full tilt going the other way. Oh, this is epic. Okay, enough of the live commentary of hockey, which won't be live by the time you listen to this, but we don't care. <laughs> That's why it's our podcast. <laughs> Damn right. <clears throat> uh, so anyway, yeah, Pavelski Hattie, Pavelski Hattie. Come on, give it to him. And so, oh, wouldn't it be awesome if you got the OT winner? Oh God. I was going to say either either he or, or Sam Bennett need to score just for you know. Four goals though. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of Joe Thornton, that's right. That's why I said it. <laughs> why I said it. That's he needs to get the OT hat. He needs to get the OT winner in the in this. It's not like he would shock the crowd. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he would just. Cut that off in the in the broadcast, and no one would have to see it. Oh my god! So, now's the time to do it if you're gonna do it. If you're gonna if you're gonna net Braden a four goal game, this is the time to net Braden a four goal game. Oh, uh-huh. Given that they brought the old NHL.com headline writers out of retirement to work on this this in arena messaging. God. Oh man, if Joe Thornton would have had a hat trick going into overtime. Oh, what what would they have written? Damn, that almost seems like an ending episode question. <laughs> no, no, you have one. You have one. Don't get out of it so quickly. Okay, fine. <laughs> I, I I think for the uh, the sake of everyone not listening to us scream as we watch overtime because we're too engaged in overtime and not this podcast. Should we drop the question uh, for this week and call it a, uh, call it an episode? Cause I got well, nothing else. I mean, is this good for, we still have the period intermission and we still have, I mean, there's gotta be at least two overtimes out of this game, right? No, because they're getting too efficient in overtimes. They started with five, then they went to two and a half, then they went to one, and then they've just been pretty much doing halves now. You know? Just can't count on hockey men to do it right. Seriously. Brewing all our fun. I will say, however, I I love the um, Gord Miller of of TSN and and NBC play-by-play guy, one of my favorites. Um bemoaned the fact that of the what is it, like six or seven five overtime games in NHL history he's called two of them. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so every time, you know, when the uh the Jackets uh got it down to a to a three two game last night, I was just like, Oh boy, here we go again, guard <laughs> Well yeah, he, he used to he was saying that he used to not so much anymore, but when when he uh, after the well, no, maybe it was they, when people would see him show up, they'd be like, "Oh, darn!" <laughs> Not say oh. darn, but you know. <laughs> oh crap! Here goes a five OT game or a multiple yeah. overtime game. Like okay, here we go. No, I really don't have anything else this week. I'm not. I'm not even gonna attempt the in. rest. I'm not even going to distinguish our error. I'm not going to sully our, 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 our airwaves. 
by talking about the two people who shall not be named who just don't know when to shut their pie holes. I've I've said my piece about Tuka Rask on Twitter. I'm not going to get into any more of it. Be a decent human. Just right. That's it. Right. Just accept it and move on. All right. Since we were talking about coaches and we were talking about uh, you know reporters and asking questions. Um, and given that ESPN didn't ask this question, or Wyshynski and Kaplan didn't ask answer this question, uh, five overtime game between Tampa and Columbus. What what question should have been asked during that post game press conference that wasn't? To which coach? Fill in the blank. My question to Tortorella really just would have been something along the lines of how proud are you of seeing those guys shift after shift putting 100% on the ice? And do you think there'll be any, any, any after effects coming back from, or, or from such a devastating, you know, 5 OT loss for the next game. Just give him a chance to pump his tires, his team's tires, effectively, right? Yeah. Or something along the lines of, you know, you you had some guys out there with amazing amounts of ice time tonight. Um, are you going to give him a hug after the game? Just as something <laughs> stupid, right? Just to throw him off. Does Seth Jones get a day off tomorrow? You know? Yeah, see, it's wouldn't do that one. I, I would be more along the lines of, um, um, do you think that he'll be ready for the next game after playing an entire game? Because, <laughs> you know, concerns for his health and all of that. Because Torx yeah. is an empathetic person and, right. and you know... He could he could gush suitably about like how wonderful he was and how they'll take good care of him and blah blah blah. Exactly. If you want a quote from Torts, get him to talk about how awesome his team was. You know, even in a loss. And if he says, you know, if he comes out and says, "What can I say? We sucked. They were they were good and we sucked." Okay. But you know. He loves pumping the tires of some of his guys. And you just got to frame it in such a way that you don't do the talk about question. Oh, God, I hate that. Because you know what the funniest thing in the world is? Is everyone comes around and says they hate them. And then what's one of the questions you always hear from someone who says they hate the talk about question? The talk we'll about question. Yeah. yeah. We'll they talk all about do blah, blah, blah. I mean, what happens to the lost art of having a question and you know what the answer is going to be and you specifically ask it to get the response you're hoping for? Like, is that a lost art? Like, just like you said, you know Torts is going to pump up the tires of some of his players. Or he wants to. Yeah. Oh, he loves to. So if you're an Aaron Ports line... Or if you were someone, you know, from NHL.com who happened to go to way too many Rangers practices back in the day, you should know exactly how to frame a question to elicit that out of him. Yeah, you know okay. what? You know what any person does and does not want to talk about. And, well, the, and then getting him to say, you know, I'm not going to talk about that as an answer. What have you gained? Like. You, you, when you get the, I'm not going to tell you what I said to them answer, it's because yeah. you framed the question asking for specifics from to a man who you know is never going to give you specifics about that stuff. If you frame the question in generalities, 
Coach, you know, without discussing any details, do you think you and your staff are going to look at making some offensive zone changes in the next couple of games? And if he still gives you that answer, then okay. Then you run with that. Right. Then, you know, he said he wouldn't discuss it. But, Coach, are you going to make offensive changes? I mean, come on. You know, give him a chance to talk about his people and his players and ask smarter questions. Because you're just throwing out the same, you know, lotto ball questions that everyone else has asked him a million times in the past. Craig Custon said it best. If you come to him, and I think this was, I think he said something along the lines of this in his Behind the Benches book when he, when he was like, I didn't know what to expect, but you, know, you ask him smart questions, you're going to get a wealth of information from him. You yeah, ask him dumb yeah, questions. coaches like that. Yeah. I mean, they used to say all the time, you know, Ken Hitchcock. <laughs> You'd sit down and talk hockey with him for ages. He wouldn't give you specifics about you know, his team or his strategies, you know, against certain opponents or this or that. But Christ, he talk hockey with you till the end of the day. Hockey and Civil War. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and everything I've heard about Tortorella is exactly the same way, you know. He'll talk hockey and rescue pets with you all day long. But just don't ask him specifics about, you know, what he's, because he's got that. And I hate saying military sensibility, but he's got kind of, you know, I think he's got probably, the football coach. He 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 has the American football coach mentality that he applies to hockey, and the American football coaches tend to be very regimented, militaristic sort of way well, you of coaching. Re- you don't reveal your battle plan to your enemy, right? And I. I don't understand why why reporters think that coaches would. It's like, why are you asking that question if you know that, like Pat, like Pat was saying, do you know that the answer is going to be nothing? <laughs> I mean, if, if you're looking to get a, a sarcastic or short answer because that's how you get clicks when you write a Tortorella story, then that's your, you know, whatever. But if you want to get answers from him, don't ask him about his game plan. You know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how many times I've heard him say variations of "I'm not telling you what I told the players." I'm not telling you what us coaches talk about. Don't try and coach the team, Brooksy. You know, I mean, that's that's like all coaches. All coaches get the same kind of questions, and they all sit there and say, "You know, you'll have to go watch the next game," or "I'm not going to talk about my plans," or. You know, I'm not going to tell you what I told the players. They all do that because media asks the exact same questions to every single coach over and over and over again. And it's just lazy. And and they like the coaches that give them the deflected answer. You know, when somebody comes up and, and does the second guessing, right? You know, in that, did you think dressing so-and-so tonight, you know, made you a better team when when this other person, you know, was... Was seemed to be healthy at practice today. You know, they're all going to come out and defend the guy they dressed. Mm-hmm. You know, not a single one of them is going to go, mm, nah, nah, you know what? That sucked. That was really stupid of me. You know, that was 100% on me. Not a single one of them is going to do it. Some of them just do it in a nicer way because they suffer fools. <laughs> okay, I need to stop because I'm, I'm getting a little too ranty and I know there are people that I adore in the media who can't stand Tortorella because they do think that that he's rude and and all and all of that other stuff. And I'm like, okay, you know, he doesn't he doesn't cater to them like they feel he should. Yeah, and they're trying to make it more than what it is. And I'm like, okay, you know what? You may have a different perspective than I do because your interactions with them, but. I can feel my way. Anyway. Okay. I need to get out of here before I really start jumping off the rails again. Um, are we ready now? Because it's a home dinger. I think I'm ready. I gave you enough runway as is. So. I know you did. 
I, I, uh, when I get going, I get going. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all nation, children of all nationalities, men and women at sea. Without duplicating numbers, create your starting six of only single-digit players. These players have to have worn a single-digit for the majority of their career. And I will, I will put in the qualifier of the majority, simply because there are players that went to different teams where their number wasn't available at the time. <clears throat> Kind of, yeah, or it, it, got, or it got it, retired, but but he was the majority of his career he played using seventy seven, so he would be disqualified. Right. So if they played a thousand games, five hundred and one have to be in the single digit number, and you cannot duplicate numbers. You're free to use one zero through nine. I, <laughs> free to use zero through nine, but no duplicates. For many time period. From any time period in history. This has been the 3B3 Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at 3B3Podcast. We're available for NHL consulting at reasonable fees.